going to talk about housing affordability. And every year, a company called Demographia International, uh, Demographia, uh, comes up with an international housing affordability survey. And we want to welcome back to the show Wendell Cox, who joins us today from St. Louis. Wendell, uh, welcome back and happy 2019. Hey, great. I'm glad to be with you. Right, and so every year, and this is the 15th annual survey that you've right. done, it is a, an enormous undertaking, Wendell, to sort of quantify housing affordability, so I'll say all over North America, because incomes are different, uh, the industries are different, uh, quality of housing is different everywhere. How do you go about doing this? Well, yeah. Oh, by, well, by the way, we do this in collaboration with the Frontier Center, which is right. located in Winnipeg. But actually, we do much more than North America. We do uh, eight countries, uh, uh, 91 major metropolitan areas, uh, those being over a million population. And, of course, Winnipeg's not quite there yet, but is one of the fastest growing in Canada. But, but you know, to measure housing affordability, you can't do it without looking at incomes. In other words, housing affordability is a function of the house price uh, and the incomes of an area. So we're interested in the middle of the market, middle-income housing, and we use a measure called the median multiple, median house price divided by median household income, and all that comes from public source, published sources. Um, and historically, uh, we find that house prices tended to be about three times incomes or less after World War II until some areas, uh, Vancouver and Toronto being good examples, uh, instituted urban containment uh, 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 regulation, which has the same effect as when OPEC stops sending oil to us, drives the prices up. And, uh, and, and that was our real interest, to basically let people know that housing affordability is something that is uh, really under the control of governments, and if they implement policies that drive prices up, it makes people poorer. And anybody who watches any of the, the home rental shows on HGTV, Wendell, knows that there's a massive disparity. If if you're watching a home reno in Vancouver or San Francisco as opposed to Biloxi, Mississippi, you're not talking the same language at all. Oh, no. In fact, uh, you think about it in, in, uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, believe it or not, your, your incomes are about the same, a little bit higher than the Vancouver CMA. Uh, yet the house prices in Vancouver are more than three times those in Winnipeg. In, 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 in Winnipeg. Yeah. I mean, detached house prices reached a level of $1.6 million. I'm sorry, $1.8 Two years ago, before Christie Clark imposed the foreign buyer's tax in, in, in Vancouver, they've gone down just a little bit. We're talking about houses of 1,500 square feet, houses that most people uh, in Winnipeg would probably uh, want to move a little higher than. So it, it, it is a, a real problem, and young people can't afford their houses and so on. And, well, Winnipeg's at a, at a median multiple of 3.7, a little high. Uh, it's a, about 50% higher than the first time we looked at it in 2005, uh, but it, it's certainly a whole lot better than Vancouver and Toronto. And in the long run, I think for the Winnipeg metropolitan area, this creates a huge potential competitive advantage. So the value of your house should be about three and a half times your income? Three times. Three times, three times. your income. So we're right. about, we're at about three and a half here now, which is a, a little higher three than you'd like. Seven. Right. right, right. All right, so in, in terms of overall rankings then, you know, taking all of those factors into account, which is 
income and and the cost of living and everything else. So it's again, this is a massive undertaking on your part. How does Winnipeg fare against most of the rest of North America? Uh, reasonably well. I mean, first of all, if, you, if Winnipeg, uh, and, and I've not looked at the local regulatory structure very closely, uh, but I do know you don't have regulations as draconian as they've got in Vancouver, Montreal, and, and Toronto. Uh, you're better than almost everywhere in, Toronto, in, in Canada among the major metropolitan areas. Uh, Edmonton's slightly better than Winnipeg at this point. You're slightly better than Calgary, uh, and you're slightly better than Ottawa, while the other three are, are in pretty bad shape. And compared to the rest of North America, you're you're, you're about in the middle. Uh, I do believe that it's real important for local officials, though, to look very closely at all this, because uh, what we found in our research in the United States is that when you look at the difference in cost of living between metropolitan areas, 85% of the difference is made up by the difference in housing costs. So if you want to know about the cost of living, all you have to do is look at housing affordability. All right, so we're not talking you know, gas or groceries. I mean, those things impact, but it's the cost of a house. That's our biggest Well, yeah, that's Purchase, you know, the right? fact is that if you buy an, a new Chevy or a new Toyota in Winnipeg, it's probably going to cost about the same as it would cost in Toronto or Vancouver. Not so with houses. Mm. So in, in Winnipeg in the last year, 18 months or so, Wendell, the housing market has softened a little bit. I'm talking about resales. They've softened a little bit. But our city is also now imposing a an impact fee on any new Builds which could add anywhere from ten, say ten, fifteen thousand dollars to the cost of a new house. So how how does that tend to impact markets when you see that sort of thing? Well, it's a real problem across Canada. You've got, for example, the last I looked in it was at a couple of years ago. Surrey, you know, in the Vancouver area, had an impact fee of something like fifty thousand dollars for every new house. This is a real problem. Um, you, you know, cities, uh, and I'm not speaking of Winnipeg here. I'm talking broadly here. Uh, cities and governments around the world seem to think that they can just impose all sorts of costs uh, on housing, and uh, and we're fortunate. We, we've seen some real great things happen, for example, in New Zealand, where the new socialist government, mind you, is looking to to get rid of the urban growth boundary and is impo- and, it, and is establishing a means for for creating infrastructure far less expensively and avoid and, and basically backing down on on impact fees. This follows a model not unlike what's been used in Texas uh, to keep housing costs in the periphery down as well. So yeah, the, these impact fees. Uh, uh, are, are often very high. Uh, some economists who've looked at them closely suggest they're far higher than they need to be. And in some places, without mentioning any cities, they're actually used to, as an excuse to not permit building of new housing on the periphery. And if you don't build new housing on the periphery, if, if you don't permit that, you can bet house prices are going to go up a whole lot. Yeah, and, and certainly here, and, and I know in Calgary, for example, where they do have impact fees, some of the builders start looking outside the city limits. Well, yeah, and the problem is in a lot of places it's not even permitted. You know, try San Francisco, for example, or Vancouver, where there's plenty of developable land, despite what a lot of planners who've never been outside the city of San Francisco or the city of Vancouver don't understand. Plenty of developable land that is not permitted for development. So it's, you know, well, in Calgary, you might be able to go up to Airdrie and, and, uh, and, and produce houses a bit less expensively, considerably less expensively. You can't go to Stockton in San Francisco and do it.
Yeah, which is close by. I mean, as you said, there's a whole lot of areas around San Francisco proper. The, the oh. city of San Francisco proper is not all that large, but but there's no, plenty no, no. plenty of the, area around there. Right? The, the city of San Francisco re- represents like one tenth of the population of the metropolitan area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like Vancouver. Everybody thinks Vancouver's big. Yes, indeed, Vancouver's big, and it's grown, and it represents less than a third of the population of the CMA. All right. So you're not a fan of, of these so-called impact fees, which are designed to, to help fund, at least ostensibly anyway, designed to help fund the surrounding infrastructure, the roads, sewers, bridges, and so forth, leading into and out of these new developments. You're not a fan of those? Well, first of all, I'm a fan of middle-income households. I'm a fan of people becoming more affluent and poverty being reduced. And these policies increase poverty and reduce the standard of living. Impact fees, as they're being implemented in a lot of places in a number of countries, including the U.S., Canada, Australia, and so on, uh, are a real problem. And they're being, they are being used uh, in a way that drives house prices up inordinately. That is not to suggest we don't need infrastructure. Indeed, we need infrastructure. But there are means by which it can be uh, uh, financed that don't produce such a, a, a burden on young households uh, who are already reeling from things like student loans and, and, and uh, uh, the interest rates that we already see going up and making housing even less affordable. Where are the great bargains in North America right now, Wendell? I mean, if you know, you say Winnipeg, we're doing pretty well here, but where are the, the really good bargains in some of these major urban centers? Well, uh, yeah, first of all, well, I'll, I'll back off just a little bit on major urban centers. I should congratulate Canada and Cape Breton. Now, again, Cape Breton has only recently become a metropolitan area, but it's got the best housing affordability of the more than 300 uh, metropolitan areas we looked at around, uh, around the world. But, but uh, housing affordability is particularly good in parts of Canada that are not very popular. Um, it, it, you know, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, uh, etc. It's also very good in the U.S. Midwest and much of Texas. So, for example, if you wanted to go to Cincinnati or Columbus or Indianapolis, these are places that are actually getting migration, net migration, from California at this point. I mean, I'm old enough to realize how inconceivable it would have been in the 80s for anybody to move from California to Ohio or Texas. It's happening all the time now. Texas always seems to be one of those places where you can go, it's going to be warm uh, and and affordable. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, I mean, there's a reason, of course, that so many people want to live in Vancouver, despite the the cost of living there, is it, it's a great place to live. Yeah, but the fact is, if you go back before these regulations, these differences did not exist. They didn't exist. Vancouver, according to the 1971 census, had a median multiple that would have been moderately unaffordable, around the level of Winnipeg at this point. Uh, San Francisco had a median multiple below three. And it was only after the coming of this regulation, and these kinds of regulations were intended not to destroy housing affordability, yet the planners paid no attention and have done nothing. Nothing to reduce the cost of increase, cost of uh, housing increase that's occurred, or they haven't done enough. Put it that way. Yeah. So, uh, in, are, are you in terms of North America versus the rest of the world? Because you say you took a look at at eight different countries. So, out, outside of Canada and the United States, who's getting it right? Uh, well, nobody. 
Nobody. The problem is that the that the urban pl- uh, uh, planning fraternity around the world believes that it is more important to have a city that looks right in their eyes than it is have to have a lower level of poverty or a richer society. Uh, the priorities are all wrong. In fact, World Bank uh, principal planner, former former head uh, urban planner of the World Bank, Elaine Berto, is out with a new book um, in in which he basically says that we really need, and he's a planner, mind you. He basically says we need to get economists involved in this. We need to have urban economics be as important as urban planning because of the distress that urban planning has caused in places like Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, Sydney, and London. Yeah, those those places are desirable, but but increasingly unaffordable for people. Well, beyond that, let me t- let's talk about places that also have. Pro- How about Liverpool? I mean, does anybody is Liverpool desirable? I'm sure it is to some people, but the fact is, we have all sorts of examples around the world of places that are not Vancouver and are not San Francisco, uh, and, uh, and and they've got terrible housing affordability as well because of these kinds of policies. Yeah, well, and Liverpool ain't exactly Palm Desert. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Wendell Cox, always great to chat with you. Thanks a lot for this. Okay, thank you. Wendell Cox is with Demographia. He is in St. Louis, and he's co-authored the 15th Annual International Housing Affordability Survey. If you want to take a look at this survey, I steer you to the website for the Frontier Center for Public Policy, based right here in Winnipeg. It's FC pp.org, okay? So it's the Frontier Center for Public Policy. You go to their website and you can take a look at this study. We'll be back.